1: It up on a Wednesday, Wednesday edition of Light the Tower on the Horn. We are live, we are local, we are digital on the Horn app and at HornFM.com. Wherever you're listening, however you're listening, we thank you so much for being a part of today's presentation. I am Jeff Howe, Horns 24-7, Horns247.com, at Jeff Howe 247 on Twitter. Get that Longhorn Blitz podcast. Anywhere you get your podcast, just search Horns 247. That's Horns 247. No dashes, no slashes. No spaces. Click that follow button. Get every episode of The Blitz when it drops on Tuesday, just like yesterday's edition did. No terrestrial radio for The Blitz this week. The only way you can get it is either over at horns247.com or anywhere you get your podcast. Hit that subscribe button. Don't forget to leave us a five star review. Myself and Matt and Rod would greatly appreciate the uh, the continued support of decade plus and still going strong with Longhorn Blitz. Uh, Craig not in studio today. Craig is in Fort Worth getting ready for Texas and TCU men's basketball tonight. We'll catch up with him here shortly. We'll talk about that game. We'll talk about last night's loss three nothing loss for Texas to number one ranked LSU. I was out there. Our producer, our esteemed producer, was not there, uh, but he was out working nonetheless, as he always does, getting that play by play resume, making sure it's nice and robust by the time it comes time for someone to hire him away from us, which uh, is probably going to happen sooner rather than later because he's just that good at what he does. He is Cameron Parker, at Cameron D. Parker on Twitter. Cam, you got any other social media handles, social media platforms, or anything you're you're all about right now?
2: Twitter's fine. Twitter's good enough.
1: Just for me. the Twitter machine. Yeah. No Instagram, TikTok, Facebook.
2: Eh, all private. Okay. Not, gotta, no TikTok. Not 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 in the talk.
1: So I don't do TikTok. My wife does TikTok because you know, my wife's a, a middle school, high school principal. So I'm serious. Like most of the disciplinary issues she deals with are kids sending her something that somebody else did on tiktok somebody else did or said
2: oh god In the 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 b hall bathroom yeah something like that little johnny
1: (laughs) something like that uh so my wife has tiktok i don't facebook i keep private that's pretty much just for family and friends instagram uh, twitter pretty much at this point for me is just for work and things that i find entertaining uh instagram is the social media account where i tend to getting in the process of goofing off on Instagram, so that's where I'm just like whatever.
2: Interesting. Okay, so. All,
1: all my A lot of my sports card content, actually all of it's going to Instagram. Uh, that's where I'll post like random pictures or I'm getting into the process of learning how to use the gram. That's a big uh, big thing for me this year in 2023.
2: Are you new to the gram?
1: No, I've, I've had, you know what? Funny enough, I've had Instagram for about 10 years now. I've just never really used it. Just never thought of the need to use it, but I'm just, Twitter's just such a cesspool, and everybody knows what Facebook is. And like I said, I just use Twitter for work at this point. Uh, and I do more retweeting and just scrolling on Twitter than I do anything else other than work posting. Uh, but Instagram, Instagram entertains me, the shorts and whatnot. So.
2: Well, anything you post on Twitter, if it's not Texas-related, you'll get a comment from a Texas fan asking, can Arch Manning start? Dude, this year?
1: you uh you have no idea how often Mike Roach is tweeting about like Dallas Stars hockey. And he'll be like, oh man, that's not good. Like, are we losing a commit? Like, what's going on? Like, no. Just, <laughs> just watching the hockey game. Specs text line is open, by the way, 337-3776. We will will read those and react to those. Uh but yeah, you know, I've I've learned, Cameron learned a long time ago. You know, people are just gonna respond, they're gonna ask me whatever they want on Twitter. I just Unless it's something that I'm really invested in or it's worth a response or a, a like or a re- retweet, I just I just don't even dignify it with a response at it, this point.
2: I mean, Twitter has become such a, a troll-like website, especially after the Elon Musk yeah, involvement. The- it's just... <laughs> It's almost unbearable, but at the same time, it's the best way, I think, for someone like me to keep up with news and to keep up with Texas athletics in sports and breaking news, especially like the NBA trade deadline. Trade like, what's the better way to follow all the trades than Twitter, right? Because Shams and Wash are breaking all the news. Same thing with, with Texas recruiting. You find out about, you know, recruits committing because, well, Hayes Fawcett will post a graphic of the player committing.
1: Yeah, and, and nine times out of ten, whenever the commitment breaks – Our guy, you know, Mike Roach and and Hudson Standish, they they know about it. I mean, it's just all a matter of who's going to hit publish first. Yeah. So, you know, it's funny, like, in the recruiting industry, like, breaking the commitment used to be the big deal. Breaking offers used to be the big deal. Now it's like with graphics and videos and everything else, now it's, it's all planned and everybody knows what's happening. The kids report their offers before. You know, or rec- any, any recruiting reporter finds out about it now.
2: Please announce I've gotten my 30th offer from Mary Harden Baylor. That's, that's great.
1: I'm not joking, though, I once had a pro. We once had a prospect's Dad. We dealt with this at 24-7. This kid had 90-plus offers. Yeah. And his dad was upset that we didn't have his two-lane offer on his profile. Like, the system only allows us to list a certain number of offers, and at some point we just can't anymore. So sorry, your two lane offer doesn't get noticed, but you know, just you—you you know, you got it. Just trust me. We have filled up every
2: possible space here. You're getting DMs. Why isn't Western Kentucky on here? There's
1: only so much bandwidth, Cameron. Only so much bandwidth you can deal with. Uh, we're waiting to hear from Craigway. Until then, we'll take your feedback on the specs text. On again, Craig in Fort Worth getting ready for Texas men's basketball tonight. Uh, CB, I will not be going to uh, to the Big Twelve tournament. Uh, it says, will you be going to Kansas City for the Big Twelve tournament? Because if so, it's going to be lit. The Big 12 announced the entertainment that will be there. Have no. you seen that? No. Enlighten me, Cameron. I'm, I must have missed this this morning during show. Oh, Rock.
2: man. Fat Joe will be performing at what? the Big 12 Championships. What? Yeah. It's turning into Longhorn Limits, basically, but for the Big 12 Brett Championships. York, Brett York Longhorn City genius, Limits.
1: Perfect commissioner for the Big 12. So, is, is there anybody else?
2: Yes, yeah, CB tagged us on Twitter, I think, this morning. They just announced it. So, Fat Joe Grammy-nominated hip-hop legend for the Big 12 Conference on Twitter. DJ Diesel, who is, of course, Shaquille O'Neal, will also be performing. Uh, Bappe the artist, also performing. And then the national anthem will be no other than Jordan Sparks and Lainey Gardner, the country music star. They're going all in. For the last man. year, the Big 12, that includes Oklahoma and Texas. You know Fat Joe left Atlantic, right? Yeah.
1: Okay, just making sure. Uh, rest in peace, big pun, by the way. That'd be nice if we could throw that back, but unfortunately we can't. But no, man, that's that's awesome. Uh, yeah, so Chip is going to handle for on the Horns 24-7 front, Chip will handle the Big 12 tournament because he'll cover the Texas men and the Texas women in Kansas City until they're done, and then I'll actually, wherever the men are for the first round, uh, that's where I'll be. With probably at this point, looking like maybe Denver or Birmingham, uh, i th- I don't I don't know what would have to happen for Texas to get knocked out on one of those two places. but uh, that's where I'm hoping to be
2: You're really for you're rooting for Denver, right? I, mean, I guess Birmingham's closer, but the be in Denver is, is
1: I dig Denver plus one and one of my best friends growing up in in Florence, texas u s a lives in the greater Denver area, so okay, it's nice. always good to catch up with him whenever I can go to Denver. Denver. Denver's got an an Austin type vibe to it a little bit. Yeah, you know, Denver's one of those cities that a lot of the lot of the cool kids and the hipsters are moving to. So I I dig Denver. It's it's cool. You ever been to Denver, Cam?
2: I did. I went uh, a couple summers ago. Caught a Rockies game. Beautiful ballpark. Beautiful been to, sunset.
1: Bina Cor- field. love it. Uh, by the way, a little Denver travel tip: since the wife and I went uh, during Christmas twenty twenty one, if you are going to do the Pikes Peak sightseeing tour. Wouldn't advise doing that in the winter when it's like minus 15 at the summit. So just file that away in case you uh, in case you want to make Denver a part of your holiday plans. But enough about holiday plans. Uh, we will get to that in a little bit. I'm sure we'll have time in the show to cover it, But we've got to go to the Vaqueros Cafe and Cantina Hotline. Joining us is the voice of the Longhorns, my broadcast partner, the MVP of Light like the Tower, Craig, way, Craig, where are you uh, reporting from in the greater Dallas-Fort Worth metroplex this morning?
0: Well, well, the nice thing is, is that when you have, uh, you know, if if you're staying at the team hotel, it's a nice hotel. Of course, the Longhorns team hotel, uh, and they've they've gotten used to doing this. Uh, men's and women's basketball did it. Now, women's basketball league is staying stays now at the Worthington, which is nice. But men's basketball and baseball stay at the. Hilton, which is the old Texas, hotel Texas in Fort Worth. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, President Kennedy stayed the night before the assassination, and uh, and then came out that morning and gave a little speech out front. And there's a little memorial plaza there, which has like his speech there, uh, you know, on on the uh, uh, engraved. So, uh, touch of history there for uh, the Longhorn basketball team. Hey.
1: Craig, I think we've talked about this, but refresh me. As long as you lived in the Metroplex, did you ever do the the Dealey Plaza Book Depository tour?
0: You know, the funny thing is, all the time I was living in the Metroplex, it wasn't yet open to the public. Oh, okay. I got you. They had not yet opened it to the public. What they had was there was a JFK kind of museum thing not far from it, and I did do that once. Uh, but they did not open the sixth floor until after I had moved to Texas or moved to the Austin area. Gotcha. Okay. And 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 still, you know, I've been back there many, many times. There's no reason why I can't, you know, if I have an opportunity to go there. I just haven't been able to do it. I haven't been able to have the time. I really need to do it, though. Uh, I've had a lot of people I know, tell me, you know, they've been up there. Bill Shoney, among others. Several others have been up there and done it. I just never have.
1: I've done yet. it, yeah. I, I, sure I did it like prob- probably about 10 years ago I did it.
0: Okay, yeah, yeah, I'd like to do that if I could.
1: Yeah, sure. that you know, there's two things, Craig, as a Texan, one, one to be proud of, one that's kind of maybe the darkest, one of the darkest days in our state's history. Uh, doing the sixth floor tour and then the battleship San Jacinto, walking through both of those deals, I'm like, how have I lived in this state my entire life and never done either one of these things? So, I'd, yeah, yeah, I, you now,
0: know, I, I did do the San Jack, and I did do the, the, the tower there, you know? Yeah. I, I did do that uh I, I took my youngest son Jason uh over there one time we went to an Astros game uh back when I you know didn't have a mortal hate for the Astros <laughs> and I don't anymore uh and and uh so we went over uh for a game uh, there, stayed the night and I took him over there to the San Jacinto Monument and in the, in the battlefield and and the and the battleship so it was it was fun All
1: right Craig I know you're uh, pressed for time you got to get going with a uh, shoot around with the team today to get set up for the broadcast tonight uh what is the vibe around this team right now because after Kansas beat Texas Tech last night if this team wants at least a share of a regular season title in the Big 12 first since uh, they shared one back in 2008 with Kansas uh tonight is a must win on the road at Shoalmire.
0: Yeah, uh, that was determined last night, obviously, by Kansas beating Texas Tech. You know, it, it, and just a side note, before I get back into the Texas things, I've seen a lot of traffic on social media about, you know, it was senior night for the Jayhawks last night. So they were honoring their seniors. Well, one of their seniors is Kevin McCuller. Yeah. And it just so happened, here it was, senior night, Kevin McCullough the red raider who transferred to kansas through the portal and of course he's being you know just absolutely just eviscerated on twitter by tech fans you know but traitor and this and that it's just, you're just you're awful you're a traitor and this and that and it got me to thinking th- th- does that not make kevin obanner a traitor does that not make Fardell's Amac a traitor? I mean, these are guys. We live in the age of the portal now. It's going to happen. If the Longhorns face Arizona in the NCAA tournament, I don't think you're going to ha- hear a bunch of Texas fans claiming that um, uh, you know that there's that, that they've been victimized uh, by Courtney Rainey. That it was the, the traitorship at work. I mean, it's the it's. The time and place we live in now—it's just—it is. But I also Craig, don't don't let
1: logic right. don't let logic and reasoning get in the way of a good tantrum.
0: Uh, I get so <laughs> you know I understand. But anyway, we 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 learned and discovered uh, obviously that that, uh, that 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 since Kansas won, Texas must win its last two games. Uh, they must win tonight, and they must win. Tonight. I had, I think Ty Harrington, before we did the broadcast, asked me, and Keith Moreland did as well, you know, which game did I think would be more difficult to win, Uh, this game in Fort Worth tonight or the game on Saturday. And there's one side of me who wants to say the game tonight might be more difficult. It's TCU senior night. So they're fired up. It is a road game, and the road in the Big 12 is not a kind place as we As we understand, even though Texas does own some road victories, but that's it's a tough deal to deal with, and of course, they'll be at home for their own senior day on Saturday afternoon. So I mean, neither one is going to be easy clearly. And, and I do like what Rodney Terry said on the media availability when he said, uh, I think he was asked, you know how well we we ran the we ran it yesterday on the program where he was asked, I think it might have been Babalo from K. I asked him." have you been able to get the message across your guys, the urgency of the moment uh, that they're probably going to have to win their last two games. And he said, but it's been like that, you know, that's life in the big 12. They've had that. He said, we've been playing March basketball for several weeks now. And it kind of is like that in conference play. So in terms of the urgency, the mental and emotional urgency of the moment, I don't think that's that much different for the guys and they, and they're, you know, you know how they are. They're, they're, Uh, pretty laid back to understand what they got to do. And then we'll see what it's like in in shoot around here a little bit. But, you know, then in addition to that, uh, it's it's what you make of it, how you make the adjustments coming off the loss to Baylor. They understand that, that, you know, dealing with TCU means dealing with one of the fastest teams in all of college basketball, one of the fastest teams in terms of transition offense. So they're going to have to deal with getting back and and being in position. They're also going to have to guard the pick and roll better than they've been guarding it lately. And they they went through a spate of that where they didn't defend the pick and roll very well. And then they made adjustments and did a much better job on it. And, um, you know, Rodney, has said they've worked really hard on that. I mean, it's all about defense tonight, I think.
1: Yeah, uh, transition defense is something he mentioned in the availability that they've really been working on. and, And to beat TCU, you've got to be great Getting back in transition, Craig. Uh, I don't know if you've heard anything in the last, you know, twelve or so hours. Is it still looking, as far as you can tell, like Eddie Lampkin will play for TCU tonight?
0: Yeah, he's listed in their starters. Okay. For what that's worth, uh, so I think he's probably going to go, and um, you know that at this time of year, guys really want to play, even if they're in the neighborhood of being able to go. And he does give them a presence. There's no doubt about it, what he can do. And in their wins, he's been a factor. In their losses, not so much. So uh, I'm, I'm pretty certain we'll see him tonight.
1: No question. Uh, Craig Way joining us from Fort Worth. It's Texas and TCU tonight, 730 with the pregame here on the Horn and on the Austin Radio Network, 8 o'clock with the tip with Craig and Eddie on the call from Schollmeyer Arena on the TCU campus. Craig, other than transition defense, give me, uh, give me one or two things that are top of mind for you that need to be on that checklist Texas has to check the box to, to get a win tonight in Fort Worth.
0: Well, the easiest thing would be to say they got to make shots, and and they missed a lot of shots, as we know, uh, you know, uh, on uh, Saturday in the loss in Waco. That that that's an easy default answer to go to. But it's what kind of shots are you getting? Can are they? It's kind of like in the baseball vernacular, uh, Jeff, when we talk to David Pierce uh, about pitches for his pitchers, mm-hmm. and and I'd say how many innings would you like to get out of? So and so on a given night, how many pitches? And he says, Well, it depends on what kind of pitches. Are they stress pitches or are they, you know, is he able to cruise through? And we saw that from LeBaron Johnson in the five innings. So in basketball, uh, are they rushed shots? Are they well defended shots that turn into fadeaway 18 footers from the wing or in the corner where the odds are not nearly as good of knocking down those shots? So, in other words, your ball screen action's got to be good. You have to be able to set good screens. And then guys have to be aggressive in terms of being able to drive to the open areas where they can, where they can shoot. And I think that's a big, a a big part of what they're going to have to do tonight.
1: You know, the, the other thing too, Craig, and I I don't think people need to lose sight of this. And it it was, you know, just looking at the, you know, kind of just, Hey, put the game away. Then wake up Sunday, look at the box score from the Baylor game. And the thing that jumped out to me, it's really hard to win games. And, And I pointed this out on Monday, uh, and I know Zay pointed it out in the during the midday show uh, on Monday as well. It's hard to win basketball games at any level when the opponent makes more free throws than you shoot. That goes back to exactly what you're talking about in terms of guys being decisive, being aggressive, getting downhill, and if you're not making a shot, draw fouls, get to the foul line, and then get some work done from there.
0: Yeah, and I – uh, you know, when I, when I look at a box score after calling a game and I see a big disparity in that, I'll have also have the play-by-play sheet and I'll look to see at what point are those free throws coming. If they're coming down the stretch and the team had to foul and had to foul and had to foul to get on a foul line, that's one thing. But if they're getting opportunities to knock down free throws while the game is still in the balance mm-hmm. and you're fouling either unnecessarily or you just didn't adjust the way the game is being called and let's face it in the big 12 conference some crews call games tighter than others the how do i put this the either lesser experienced or lesser regarded officials tend to call the games much tighter and and uh you know some of those the veterans we've seen, the the, the John Higgins, uh, Doug and and some of the uh, Doug Sermons and some of those other guys, they're going to let a lot of things go, but they're going to protect the block uh, really well. They're going to protect it down in the paint uh, pretty well. They they won't be calling too many fouls thirty feet from the bucket on like a hand check or ball swatted at by a guy. they're, they're going to let a lot of that go. Mm-hmm. So adjusting to how the game is being called, I think is also important.
1: That's something, Craig, I don't think it's talked about enough in basketball. We talk about it in football, right? If they're going to, you know, hey, if they're real lenient on on calling pass interference or holding, you got to adjust. Or in baseball, I'll talk about it all the time adjusting the strike zone, uh, whether it's a tight zone, whether it's a, a wide zone, whatever it is. Uh, basketball, you got to do the same thing. So, uh, hope looking forward to a really good game tonight, Craig. I know you got to run, but before we let you go, you you mentioned LBJ's performance. Tough night for the offense, and and you know David even told us uh, the the beat reporters after the game. Uh, you know, hey, they've still got a lot of stuff to do. To, to fix what's wrong on offense right now, and this team has to figure out how to manufacture runs when you've got runners on base, uh, how do you play good situational baseball. But from a pitching and defense standpoint, Craig, I, I, you couldn't have asked for uh, a better effort than what you've got, not just out of LeBaron Johnson, but out of your bullpen. Uh, Eric Kennedy makes the the big play, and, and credit Garrett Gomet for making the play at the plate too. It just really came down to the fact that, Chris Stewart, unfortunately, couldn't throw strikes. Dre Duplantier comes out of the bullpen, has to challenge somebody. And within the span of three batters, you you lose the game.
0: Yeah, and, and, and all of that is important. But like you said, I know that David Pierce has been uh, pleased with how hard his bullpen has worked. And by and large, they've been pretty good, even with last night's game and even Sunday factoring into that. Um, the, you know, and the defense other than the first couple of games where they had all the the errors since then, they played pretty well. But the one thing that has been the common thread through a three and five start is situational hitting with Mm. guys on base in scoring position that goes all the way back to the opener against Arkansas in every single game. Now, you can point out every single game in a college baseball game and say, hey, we could have gotten this guy home or, hey, they could have got the key hit there. There's things like that. But when it happens, in multiple innings game after game, that's what ultimately weighs on a head coach about and, and the hitting coach and the those who handle the offense, about how do you get a guy to have that relaxed focus and intensity that you need to have when you're on the floor when you're on the field to be able to dial in. And Augie used to talk about that as well, about how just being relaxed but being focused and, and being able to dial in on the pitch you need to get. And and then to lay off of a bad pitch, because I, I, I you have to give some credit to Ackenhausen too. because yeah, he did a sure. tremendous job out of the bullpen for them, and was able to get guys to swing at things, uh, you know, down in the field turf, you know, the, the down low pitches. He had a really good breaking ball, so you have to you have to take all of that into account. And unfortunately, a lot of that just comes with time with young guys, you know, a uh, uh, Jalen Flores or Jared Thomas who have all kinds, all world potential and can't wait to see them progress and be better hitters at the plate. Uh, and and some of that is just the painful lessons of time. And that's what we've been talking about since the Open with 19 newcomers. It's going to take some time to build up. This is not going to flip overnight. This will take a time. Now, unfortunately, you got to try to mix that in with wins so that you're not endangering your postseason. But during the non-conference portion of the season, if you're going to you know, that's this is the time to do it right now. Is to get these guys better. Uh, the next stop is Fullerton and they're gonna have to deal with it in, in Fullerton, California against Cal State Fullerton uh, this coming weekend.
1: You heard him calling baseball last night with Ty Harrington. You'll hear him tonight calling basketball in Fort Worth with Eddie Orin. It's Texas and TCU seven thirty pregame, eight o'clock tip here on the horn and on the Austin Radio Network. Craig, uh hope everything goes well, setting up and shoot around. Have a great call tonight and We're looking forward to seeing you back in here in that chair across from me and across the glass from Cameron tomorrow.
0: I will be there and we'll hope for good things tonight. I'll be back late, late tonight. We'll be ready to go tomorrow morning. Have a good one, Craig. Thanks.
1: All right, there he is, the voice of the Longhorns, the missing third of Light the Tower today, Craig Way, uh, live from Fort Worth, calling baseball last night. He's got basketball tonight. Uh I don't think, I don't believe, I don't think Craig is going to Fullerton, or maybe he is. I don't remember, but maybe I think he's going up there for the Friday game, then coming back to call the basketball game against Kansas on Saturday. Cameron, you ready for that kind of schedule, like the one Craig has?
2: I'm on it right now, man. Pretty
1: much, yeah. Where where was your game last night?
2: So last night I was up in Cameron, Cameron That's Yo right. yeah. Stadium or Gymnasium.
1: Excuse uh, Do you find a good? Did you find a place to eat? By the way, I did, I didn't forget to respond to you.
2: DQ. Yes, I texted Jeff and Craig before asking any good quick bites to uh, out in Cameron. Now, unfortunately, there was a big road closed, and I'm not very familiar with going out to Cameron, road so road. that detoured me for about 30 <laughs> minutes. And then, of course, as I was coming into the town, there was a train coming across, and I sat for about probably about 20 more minutes. Got to love that. So that, that was sick, but I hit up DQ afterwards. Um, and, yeah, solid. First time in DQ in a, in a couple Months, years, it's been, it's been maybe. A, been a minute. Been yeah. a minute since you had something. To what's eat DQ. what's your go-to at DQ? Uh,
1: not really food guy. DQ. I'm pretty just much the Blizzard? exclusively the Blizzard. Yeah. Again, that don't really mess with the food at DQ. No disrespect if you do. Just I just prefer the Blizzard. Uh, Cameron, you ready to talk some Texas football? Let's do it. We're gonna hear from David Pierce later on in the show. Uh, again, recapping that three nothing loss to LSU last night. Inconceivable. Cam's gonna have your flex update next hour. But coming up next, our first edition. Of the Longhorn Notebook. Cam and I will talk a little Texas football less than a week to go until spring practice starts. We'll talk about that here when we come back on Light the Tower, on the Horn, live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at HornFM.com.
0: Craig Webb and Jeff Howe, Light the Tower.
1: That indeed it is. Rolling along, Wednesday edition of Light of the Tower. It is March first. I just love it. Anytime we have a show on the first of the month, a little Bone Thugs and Harmony. It's always good. Uh, you heard Craig wait, You can hear that. We'll have that podcasted at the end of the hour. It'll be at HornFM.com. If you want Craig's thoughts on the basketball game tonight against TCU, again seven thirty with the pregame, eight o'clock with the tip. From Shoalmire Arena in Fort Worth, it's Texas and TCU. Craig and Eddie with the call. You can hear that here on the Horn and on the Austin Radio Network. Talking about the baseball game against LSU last night. Uh, Craig will be back in studio tomorrow. Uh, that If you need your Craig Way fix now, you know how to get it. It's Jeff Howe, Cameron Parker, and right now, let's get into the Longhorn Notebook for this hour. Jeff Howe's Longhorn Notebook. It is a Longhorn Notebook brought to you, as it always is, by Aaron Bowersock, your Longhorn lender. Bowersockteam.com is where you need to go to get that awesome service that Craig and his lovely wife got when they made the move to Georgetown. Craig has nothing but great things to say about how easy Aaron and her team made the home loan process. Bowersockteam.com. Get with Aaron Bowersock for all your home loan needs. She is your Longhorn lender. Cameron, I want to talk a little spring ball. We, started to, we talked a little bit about it on the Longhorn Blitz podcast. I wanted to kind of do a little spring preview, but we ended up talking way more about the combine just because one of my co-hosts on that podcast has gone through the NFL combine and knows mm-hmm. about the meat grinder that it is. So I always love getting Rod's thoughts around combine time. So we talked a little bit more about the draft prospects of the five guys in Indianapolis. Uh, the five Texas products in Indianapolis. And kind of, you know, Bijan, is it a is it a negative or a positive that he's doing all the on-field drills and testing? You can go get the Longhorn Blitz podcast uh, anywhere you get your podcasts, like I said earlier. But we started talking about, towards the end of the podcast, started talking about spring football and talking about position groups or players that have you really intrigued during spring practice. And they almost have to take quarterback out of the equation, right, because everybody wants to know how Quinn's development is going to go in the spring with a full year in the program, a full year in Sark's offense. Everybody's going to want to know how things are going with Arch Manning, even, even Malik Murphy. I think Malik Murphy's development is going to be top of mind for a lot of people. But, Cameron, I'll see if you're on the same page with Rod and myself and Matt. Give me a position group player, something that's top of mind for you that you'll be tracking from the start of spring practice on Monday through the spring game in April.
2: Hmm. For me, I would say probably either defensive line since Morrow and Coburn's are gone.
1: Interior, interior or edge?
2: Probably edge. Edge, okay. Go with the edge. And then, honestly, outside of Xavier Worthy, receiver position. We've heard a lot about Isaiah Nayer. How will he look coming off the ACL? What will he be at? Will he be at 90%, 80%? Can he reach 100%? Probably... Unlikely, and who else will step up? Is it going to be a good year from Casey Kane? He kind of, he was kind of benched for a couple games last year, Jeff, and finally made a reemergence in the the Alamo Bowl very yeah. briefly after
1: that drop in the Iowa State game. That was we didn't we didn't see him nope. for a minute, you know. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm with you, Rod and I both. Look, I, any spring, I'm always curious about the offensive line, but Rod said yep. the offensive line because go look at just how. Bijan Robinson and Roshan Johnson, how they maximized runs last year. I mean, Bijan led the nation in missed tackles forced. I think Rojo led the nation in. I'll look it up in PFF, but I think it was yards after contact per attempt. Mm-hmm. Roshan led the country. I mean, that's two backs that maximized every opportunity they got to run, run the football. And I think we saw in the bowl game a little bit. And I've criticized Sark's game plan for the for the bowl game, but there's no sense in going back down that road. I just felt like. The offensive line that was maybe the most disappointing aspect of the bowl loss, just the way they played, uh, their presence or lack thereof, just kind of the way Washington dominated the line of scrimmage when Texas tried to run the football, didn't get a lot of push. Uh, so the way that group develops, uh, because you know you, you've got a couple of guys dealing with injuries. You know Connor Robertson had off season injury, off season surgery. So has Cole Hudson. Uh, here maybe some rumblings that DJ Campbell might be dealing with something. So, but you still got plenty of guys not just with the the Jay, you know guys like Jaden Chapman and, and Andre Kojo guys that are you know Connor Stroh guys that are in for the spring but think about a guy like I one guy I've been thinking about came I want to see which of these young guys are going to rise because not all of these guys are going to be here for the long haul some of these guys are going to realize they're they're unable to climb the depth chart they're blocked and they're going to have to go somewhere else like a guy like Nato AmaZulu right didn't see a lot of him last year but I felt like in the middle, the the few spots we did see him was really good. Uh, is he a guy that can emerge as, as a legitimate depth guy or a starting caliber player? Uh, and you know, Malik Ogbo, kind of still still an unknown. Not kind of, he still is an unknown. It was looked at more as more of a project guy. Kelvin Banks is right there to me with Jatavian Sanders as far as being maybe your most indispensable player on offense, like the guy that you can least afford to lose, I think it's kind of 1A, 1B with Jatavian Sanders and Kelvin Banks. Uh, Because I I think even at quarterback, whether it's Arch Manning or Malik Murphy, I think there's enough around the quarterback that you can cobble something together. Man, if you lose Kelvin Banks, do you have a backup left tackle that's an NFL caliber left tackle? No, you don't. Do you you have a a backup tight end that's a legitimate NFL caliber tight end that has a, the, the chance to be a day one pick, a first-round pick? No, you don't. So I think those two guys are irreplaceable. And speaking about Kelvin Banks, Christian Jones coming back for another year. You know, you've got Hayden Connor, Jake Majors. You're at least going to have four of the five guys available that started every game for you last year. Uh, but it's to me, it's just, can that that group has to take a step forward. That group exceeded my expectations last year, Ken, but I, I had the bar set really low knowing that you got a lot of new faces, there's a lot of turnover. Uh, You know, we knew Kelvin Banks was good. I don't think anybody thought he was going to be that good that quick. I didn't. I thought I figured it would take him some time to get going. I mean, you talk about him getting thrown in the fire. I mean, Will Anderson had some moments in that Alabama game, but it's not like he just dominated for four quarters. And a lot of that goes back to the job Kelvin Banks did. So I'm going to see which those guys rise. I'm with you on the edge, guys, because we talked about the edge position in 2021. And what a detriment it was to the defense. I mean, that, that group was a liability. I, I forget the number because I charted it. I think it was almost seven yards a carry opponents average in twenty twenty one on runs that hit from the C gap and out. Yeah. Almost Yikes. seven I think it was like six point nine in change is what opponents were averaging. It was brutal. Texas was on the edge. But, you know, the presence of Baron Sorrell last year, being able to make plays. Big year really really elevated that position and man say what you want about Ovia Gofu Ovia Gofu's a guy that man you never had to worry about him being on the field like he's a a, he was a serviceable player but now Ovia Gofu's gone you know you got Barron Sorrell back who's going to be that other bookend is is it Justice Finkley is it Jay Montap is it could it be Ethan Burke Is, is it Colton Vosick coming in from Westlake for the spring. you know, I, I, I'm interested to see, in terms of guys that intrigue me, sticking with that defensive line, how and where does Jure Bledsoe fit into this yeah. mix? Because he, I know you hear the reports, Cam, that, yeah. that we've got at twenty Horse 24-7 and that other people have. Anytime you talk to sources about, hey, who's standing out, who's ready to make a jump, his name gets mentioned really, really quick in terms of a guy that just elite athleticism, uh, you know, didn't play his senior year of high school, but got in last spring. You could tell there was a learning curve, but really made strides throughout the fall and into bowl season. I mean, that's not just off-the-record stuff. I mean, Sark has mentioned yeah, he's him about multiple him. times. He's mentioned Jare Bledsoe when talking about guys that have a chance to take, take a step forward. So I'm with you on the edge, guys, in terms of seeing who's going to step up to be that booking with Baron Sorrell. The only other position that I can think of that I'm really focused on, off-ball linebacker and who's going to be that guy that replaces DeMarvin Overshown next to Jalen Ford. You know, is is it a guy that I'm really high on and Mo Blackwell? Anthony Hill's talented enough to be that guy. You you know, is a freshman ready to step in and be that guy? Um, Is it, you know, does a guy like David Benda, you know, we we see this all the time, man, guys sometimes late in their careers, man, they just have that surge and they really haven't done anything for two, three, four years. Then all of a sudden, boom, they have that surge and, and they're players of significance their last year in the program. So David Mendes got a chance, but uh, I mean, I'm thinking it's going to be more of Anthony Hill or Mo Blackwell, but that position is so key because overshone did so many different things. You were able to move them around because of how good Jalen Ford was. I just feel like Mo Blackwell's got that, the skill set that can most replicate what overshone brought to the table. A little bit different, but you talk about a guy that played that hybrid, hybrid position in high school He's been at safety. He's been at linebacker. Uh, you know, does he have the ability to rush off the edge? How is he in blitz situations? You still got to figure that out. But I think in terms of skill set, it's it's not an apples to apples deal, but it's most comparable to what you got from Overshown.
2: Yeah, Blackwell. What you get from Blackwell. He definitely showed some stuff on the stretch in that second half of the season, right? But let me ask you this: So if he steps into the off-ball linebacker spot, because he did play a little bit safety, if I remember correctly, yeah. who steps in at safety alongside? Jaron Thompson. Are you thinking Jalen Gilbo? Because that, that safety spot, then it becomes a question mark for me because I thought after last year that Blackwell would probably play safety, but it makes sense because no one was really sure that David yeah. Benda could play that off-ball linebacker spot. So it makes more sense because Blackwell has that hybrid experience, and that's what Marvin Obershone was coming out of high school.
1: If uh, J- Jalen Catalan's healthy, to me, that, that's cha- right, that changes not okay. only that changes not only your the complexion. Of, well, Jalen Gilbo is a factor, though, too. I mean, he's going to factor in somewhere, whether it's at corner yeah, or, or safety. Or safety. Uh, and I think that's the – maybe he's the guy that gets cross-trained because I think somebody at corner is getting cross-trained at safety. Just to – you know, if you decide that B.J. Allen or Larry Turner Gooden aren't ready, maybe you just want a, a, a presence of a guy who's played a little bit. Maybe Gilbo slides back there because you're, you're pretty good at corner now. Yeah. I think with, with Ryan Watts coming back uh, – we Uh we talked about Ryan Watts earlier in the week when we talked about the guys that made decisions to come back – who's got the most to gain, you know, how does the NFL view Ron Watts? Texas views him as a damn good boundary corner. So with Watts coming back, Terrence Brooks played really well late in the year. So I think you're good at corner. Uh, Gilbo, at the very least, he'll back up Jaday Barrett at that star position. But, I man, if Jalen, getting back to safety, Jalen Catalan's healthy, changes not only the complexion of that position, it changes your whole defense. Because, I man, you go back to 2020 when he was healthy as a redshirt freshman at Arkansas – Freshman All-American, mm-hmm. first-team All-SEC, was one of the most productive defensive players, period, in the SEC. He's just been hurt every year since.
2: He was a guy that in the Arkansas game, we watched him and was like, Damn, yeah. man, we, Texas could really use a safety like him. And unfortunately, he's just been bitten by the injury bug the last two years. I forgot about him because if he can stay healthy like you mentioned, Jeff, sure. that, that's that's huge for the defense because there's a pool of a lot of young guys from about two classes ago, right? You mentioned Jamon tapdre Bledsoe and the defensive back, Austin Jordan, Larry Turner, Larry Turner Gooden, Xavier on Bryce, even like who's going to step up from these guys. Vernon Broughton's another name. Someone has to step up because CB
1: mentioned Alfred Collins, uh, contract year. That's, that's a guy that we've seen him for so long in this area, man. He's got everything you want. Like I think Alfred Collins, regardless, unless he just has an awful year, I think he's going to get drafted just based on measurables.
2: Yes, he should. Somebody's going to take a no flyer on him
1: like sixth, seventh round. Someone will take a flyer on him thinking, oh, gee, I can turn this guy into something. Yes. Um, But, yeah, Collins' is a guy, that, with what you lost, losing Anthony Cook, I mean, and think about it.
2: Lost think, four guys, lost four DBs.
1: Think about it from this standpoint, though. With the guys that we're talking about stepping up that you really – Maybe you've they haven't been in starting caliber, they haven't been in in prominent roles or you've seen them flash, they haven't put it all together. Think about this time last year. We were really curious how that transition was going to go for for Anthony Cook going to safety. And other than Jalen Ford, Anthony Cook might have been your most consistent player on
2: defense last year.
1: Like Cook, Coburn. For they're all they were all in that discussion
2: He play with one arm that eligible play
1: the last five games of the year with a broken forearm just I, I have nothing but respect for what Anthony Cook did in the second half of the year so there's that part of it and then you know a guy like Keiondre Coburn I mean we talked about it on the blitz I was sitting here a year ago saying man I think Coburn just played too much in 2021 I think Byron Murphy needs to probably get some of his snaps Coburn needs to play less and credit Colburn for putting in the work. Credit Bo Davis for getting him there. KeAndre Colburn became a really productive, disruptive three-down player. I mean, he was one of the better pass rushers in the Big 12. When you look at pressure rate and just raw number of pressures, he was, I think he's third on the team in total pressures last year. That's coming that's coming from basically a nose tackle that's able to get to the quarterback that often that can punch the pocket and disrupt to that level that he's one of your better pass rushers. So those were guys that we were talking about this time last year, we weren't sure what it was going to look like. I say the same thing for Deshaun Jamison at corner coming off of a not good year in 21. So we saw guys elevate themselves last year, so it's certainly possible. But I to me, Jalen Catalan's the key. And as long as you find somebody that can run with Jalen Ford at that off-ball linebacker position, you got a bunch of guys. Basically, Cam, here's where I am with 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 off-ball linebacker. Like I think safety, whether you put Gilbo back there, Barron, maybe you cross crushing him, whatever. You've got enough pieces that you can mix around to have, at the very least, a competent secondary and maybe even a good secondary with the pieces you've got take Catalan out of the equation. I would love for Sark and PK and Jeff Choate to get to the end of spring practice and have a conversation between the three of them and say, hey, we like what we got. We don't need to go into the portal for off-ball linebacker or edge. With what we've got, we can, we can not only get by, we feel good about it. Good enough that we don't need to add anybody from the portal.
2: And that's the Anthony Hill effect, right?
1: Yeah, Anthony Hill or Mo Blackwell. Or if you decide, man, maybe you can platoon both of them. Maybe you can kind of money moneyball overshown skill set with those two guys. Situationally, they can do some different things. And maybe it's based on opponent. You might like one over the other. they might One might play more than the other. So I, you got the pieces, but this spring is going to be fun to watch just from a player development standpoint to see – Can these guys that you need to rise to get to where you want to be, can they make those strides? All right, take a break, come back. Inconceivable. Going to close out hour number one of Light the Tower on the Horn, live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at HornFM.com. Inconceivable. 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 You keep using the Horn. I don't think it means what you think it means. All right, two quickies to close out hour number one. Cameron. how do you spell Jackie Robinson's first name?
2: J. Yep. A. Yep. C. K. Yep. I. E. You are correct,
1: uh, which means you're better than New York City's Department of Transportation. Oh, no. uh, the road sign for Jackie Robinson Parkway was spelled J A K I E. Come on, man. Robinson Parkway. Under a picture of the legendary baseball player, according to a report from the New York Post. Uh, obviously, everybody knows Jackie Robinson broke baseball's color barrier with the Brooklyn Dodgers in 1947. This is one I hope Craig, being the diehard Dodgers fan that he is, was here to vent about because I'm sure uh, he would be irate. Scott Gastel, a Department of Transportation spokesperson, said the sign was replaced on Monday. Quote, this spelling mistake is absurd. City Councilman Robert Holden said of the road sign typo on Sunday. Quote, you don't have a few eyes looking at these signs? Question mark. DOT is a mess. <laughs> yeah, I I'd, I'd say so. Jakey
2: uh, Robinson.
1: Jakey Robinson. It kind of reminds me of the Boston mayor who always used to butcher names of Celtics and Patriots whenever they'd have a victory parade like he was once referenced Kevin Garnett and Rajon Rondo as KJ and Hondo. <laughs> also referred to Adam Vinatieri one time as Jason Veritek.
2: Yeah. Hey, I mean, come on. One one's a kicker, one plays baseball. Sh- Give him a break. Which are the check. mayor of Boston?
1: <laughs> that would be like, I don't know. That would be like Steve Patterson messing up Jordan
2: Spieth's name. Ooh, what what was that gap? <laughs> oh, you don't remember? Was it the Fred Lundquist Jordan Smith?
1: N- no, it was going. I want to say it was going into a mast. I want to say it was a Masters Sunday. Might have been a U.S. Open Sunday, but I'm pretty sure it was a Masters Sunday. And Steve Patterson tweeted, "Best of luck, Justin, on your oh. Sunday round." Oh, brutal.
2: My- there's some great mistakes for PJ Tour because they announce players every time they have the first tee. Uh, you have the Justin Donson one, which is one of my favorites. Um, always calling the player wrong. My favorite, of course, speaking of Spieth, Masters 2015, the year he won it. Fern Lundquist, of course, on the 16 green. Now, putting Jordan Smith. He, he ended up winning the Masters, but... Vern's great, Shut Shout out though. though.
1: Steve Patterson, not so great. Uh, Cam, I like when, uh, you know... Teens are, are teens right now considered Gen Zers. Is that Gen, is I that don't Gen know. Z? I've given up. Well, whatever that age bracket is, uh, it's not too bright because they uh, have continue to out themselves as morons on social media, and uh, I think it's hilarious when the law gets involved. New York police officers arrested five juveniles and one adult on Monday for damaging fences. Cam, are you ready for this? As part of the Kool Aid Man TikTok challenge, Suffolk County police said a homeowner in Center Reach, New York, heard quote-unquote loud noises around 1 a.m. on Monday. Surveillance cameras showed six males had kicked several sections of his fence down. The males, ages 12 to 18, returned just after 4 a.m. and ran through the fence simultaneously, police said. The prank was later determined to be a part of the Kool-Aid Man TikTok challenge, which mimics the iconic mascot of the popular powder drink. The homeowner reported the incident to police observers. uh, Officers observed a black Hyundai sedan Not mine. Mine's in the parking lot here, and it was parked at my house at that time. Matching the description of a vehicle near the scene, the officers arrested the six males on Hammond Road around 4.15 a.m. Detectives later discovered that there were at least two other instances where some of the males damaged fences in Center Reach and Selden, both of which are in Suffolk County. Five juveniles and one 18-year-old were charged with several counts of third-degree criminal mischief and fourth-degree criminal mischief the subjects were released on family court field appearance tickets and are scheduled to be arraigned at family court family district court in central i slip on march the 6th yeah tiktok challenges are fun until it lands you in jail so oh, yeah <laughs> kool-aid man
2: like is that why ut banned tiktok because uh, students were doing the, doing the kool-aid man challenge it, i know it's not but. yeah
1: i i would like to think so um you know, they nipped that in the bud before it got to that point. You know, I just eating Tide Pods. That that was the downfall down of
2: social media, right?
1: Charlie Strong was right, man. Social media gonna be the downfall of society. Who knew? Who knew Chuck Strong had so much wisdom in his words? But yeah, it's uh, it is very much true. All right, that's gonna do it for hour number one. Hour number two of Light the Tower coming up next here on the Horn, live local and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com.